Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Women would phone me when I was teaching at night. They'd say, you're a disgusting mother. Go home to your poor, starving children. Don't you realize that you should be looking after your children? Hello, and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Greta Thomas. And I'm Claire Hatton. And you are in the right place if you're after inspiration, uplifting stories and practical advice from innovative and pioneering women around the globe. So if you're looking to get ahead or trying to figure out what's next for you, stay tuned. And if you're enjoying our podcast, share it with a friend now. Absolutely. Share the love, people. And now to this week's episode. This week's guest is a woman who at the age of 92, yes, you heard me correctly, 92, is still inspiring thousands of young women to be the best they can be. I'm talking about the absolutely incredible queen of etiquette and deportment, June Daly Watkins. Now, for many people in Australia, June Daly Watkins is a legend. She certainly is, particularly, I think, if you grew up in the 70s, 80s or 90s. Yeah, absolutely. At the age of 22, June became Australia's fashion model of the year and soon became Australia's first supermodel. She lived the high life as part of the global jet set, becoming great friends with Hollywood stars Audrey Hepburn, Bing Crosby and Gregory Peck who actually asked her to marry him. What an incredibly amazing different life to how she grew up. But Absolutely. When, when she came back to Australia, June started her now famous etiquette and deportment business, which actually made her one of the country's first ever female entrepreneurs. The June Daly Watkins School has gone on to change thousands and thousands of people's lives. She's now an absolute sensation in China where she goes for a month at a time to teach thousands to be the best they can be. It's just remarkable that in her 90s, she's found this whole other new audience. It and certainly is. Yeah, it's incredible. In this episode, you'll learn how hard it was to be one of the first ever businesswomen and not a traditional housewife. Why June pushed through the incredible amounts of condemnation and criticism she received, how she came to be so in demand in China in her 90s, and her priceless advice on how to stay young at heart. Yeah, and that is priceless. So enjoy this episode with the delightful and determined June Daly Watkins. Lady June Daly Watkins, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Oh, thank you. It's absolutely wonderful to be here. Claire and I are so excited to have you with us today, Lady June. Amazing, amazing, and I love being with you. Thank you for your invitation. Oh, it's our 
Total pleasure. And we can't wait to dive in and we know our listeners will be enthralled as well to hear and learn all about your amazing life to date. On that note, a question that we ask nearly all of our guests to open up our conversation is, imagine you met someone who didn't know you. How do you explain to them just briefly what you do today? (laughs) What I do today, I travel everywhere teaching. I teach how to be the best you can be. I explain how to be the best you can be. And I do that all over China. How fascinating. And Claire and I just can't wait to dive in and learn more about that and how we can be the best we can be for that matter too. (laughs) So let's wind back now and think about where it all began. And if I'm not mistaken, you grew up in the countryside, a far cry from the glamorous jet-setting life you went on to have. So what was your childhood like? Oh, my childhood, well, it was loving because I grew up with my grandparents. I was an illegitimate child. I never knew who my father was. And my grandparents loved me and cared for me. They had a sheep farm, (laughs) so I grew up on a sheep farm shooting rabbits, milking cows. Isn't that incredible? It is incredible. Yes. I had to walk nearly a mile to a one-teacher bush school. Amazing. Down a hill, across a creek, and halfway up another hill to a one-teacher bush school. And that one teacher had to teach children from first class to fifth class, And they, too, either walked or they rode a horse to go to that school. Just that one teacher (laughs) who said to my mother one day, your daughter will be an absolute failure in life. She will never, never succeed. And I heard my mother say, oh, why? And he said, all she does is sit and look out the window all day and daydream. And I did that. And I'm still a daydreamer. And what did you daydream about becoming back then? I didn't know what to become because I didn't know what was outside of Watson's Creek. I used to talk to the moon at night and I used to read a magazine about Hollywood. And I thought, oh, I wonder if one day I could ever go there. And I did. <laughs> Incredible. Mm. And this is in the 1920s sort of and I guess more than 1930s. Well, I was born in 1927. So it was in those early days. And after five years walking to that one teacher bush school, I went to high school in Tamworth. Mm-hmm. The first ever from Watson's Creek <laughs> to go to high school, and that's where my mother met and married Major David Daly Watkins, and I was adopted. By him, so that you became part of Major David Daly Watkins adopted me, and I became June Daly Watkins, and we went to live in Sydney, and he was the very sweetest man and the loving, caring person for my mother and for me. And I went to high school at Willoughby. And now I was going to have some education for the first time. 
And I really appreciated being at a real school. And I studied very hard and uh, really was a very good student at Willoughby High School. Fascinating. What a big change for you in your formative years, not just to go from living with your grandparents, but to living with your mother and her new husband, but also to go from the very remote outback almost of Australia into what was probably the biggest city at the time. How did that impact you, do you think? I was fascinated. And I kept thinking, I must be the best I can be. I must make sure that I present myself well and speak well and conduct myself in a way that's acceptable by everybody. And my mother helped me. When I was growing up at Watson's Creek, she used to slap me if I spoke badly. She would say, Junie, don't speak like that. Speak well, because you never know one day you might get to travel the world. And I did. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Yes. What an amazing person she must have been in terms of the impact that she had on you. Oh, yes. My mother wanted me to be the best I could be because I was her only child and she wanted me to do well in life and she encouraged that. Uh And then down there in Sydney, after I graduated from high school and I graduated very well from this little girl who walked to the one-teacher Bush School when the teacher said I was going to be a failure in life. I went to work in the city when I graduated from Willoughby Girls High School, and people would say to me, why aren't you a model? You should be a model. And I'm thinking, what is a model? (laughs) I don't know what a model is. And they'd say, A model is someone who gets on the catwalk and walks and wears clothes and displays them. So I would stand in front of the mirror at home and practice how to stand and how to turn and walk backwards and forwards to the mirror and have good posture. And how did you learn that? Was that from magazines? I taught myself. I thought, no, I must have good posture. I must be tall and straight. And so I taught myself. I taught myself my turn. It's still called the June Deli Watkins turn. (laughs) And how to turn and how to display clothes. And then I was asked to take part in fashion shows. And I believe some people say that you were the first ever sort of supermodel. Yes. Must have been a real surprise to you. (laughs) I loved it. I thought, isn't this exciting? (laughs) It's a long way from Watson's Creek. (laughs) It certainly is. Or if we called it there, Watson's Creek. (laughs) (laughs) But it was. And the more I wanted to do well, the more I succeeded, I became the most photographed model. (laughs) Amazing. And I became uh, the model of the year. Yes, that was in 1948, I think. 49. 49. (laughs) Model of the year. I loved doing it. Yeah. I decided this is wonderful. 
And I really should teach other girls how to be the best they could be. I started a school in Sydney to teach how to do that because so many girls and women of all ages would come up to me after the fashion shows and say, how did you walk like that? How did you turn like that? And a photographer said to me, I'll lend you my studio and you could run classes there. So I'd model all day <laughs> and go in in the, in the evening and teach till about 6 till 7.30. And so then my students became famous and they became the most photographed models and model of the year. And then Brisbane phoned me and said, oh, would you come here and run a class for us? So I said, I'd love to do that. So I went to Brisbane and ran a course, and they said, don't close it, keep it going. So that's, Brisbane has been going all those years. and Even still, today? Yes, Brisbane's still going after all those years. And I still go to Brisbane for graduations and run classes. I still run classes in Sydney. <laughs> it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And so you started this business and you you were very young, 22, I think. Yes. Starting, you know, being a supermodel and then starting a business. How hard was it practically as a young woman in those days to start a business? I loved it. No problem. And because this photographer lent me his studio, I could afford to do that. And then I started to make some money myself and open my own studio. And I love teaching and I still do. Yeah, you can tell. I'm still teaching. Yeah, at 92, you're still teaching and <laughs> you must love it. <laughs> I do. And I don't think I'm 92. I tell myself I'm 25. <laughs> that was my best stage in life. So I keep on thinking I'm 25. Oh, what a wonderful thing to just keep And that's keep what everybody that. should do. Think young. So 25 was your best year, you say. Why was 25 so great? I think it was when I was being so busy and traveling a lot and being very, very successful and teaching. You know, I had classes daytime and nighttime and going to Brisbane and running classes. And it was just wonderful for me. It seems like you were a really genuinely part of the global jet set for a while there. You know, I read about you in Paris and Hollywood. What were those times like? <laughs> well, you see, I was asked to take a fashion show to Honolulu. And I, that was a one-woman fashion show. That was the first one-woman fashion show ever. I would put on the clothes, go out to the microphone, and describe the garment. It was from Australia and all about it. And then I would model it. Uh -huh. And then I'd go back into the dressing room, put on another outfit, go out, describe it, and model it. And then I stayed in Honolulu for a couple of weeks afterwards and really enjoyed it. And then I had an invitation to go because there was an Australian 
who designed clothes for movies. And he said, June, why don't you come over to Hollywood and you can come and stay with me? And so I did. And I met all the movie stars and had the most incredible time with uh, Ari Kelly and all those incredible movie stars of those times. How wonderful. And many of them stayed good friends for all my life. And from Hollywood, I decided after I'd been there for nearly a year that I really should move on. So I flew on to New York, and the movie stars said, Junie, we have friends there. Get, I want them to look after you. And from New York, I flew to London. This little girl from Watson's Creek. <laughs> but I always had good posture, and I always spoke well. I never spoke with an Australian accent. Then I went to Paris, and Bing Crosby was there. And Bing Crosby invited me to go on his set and watch him making the movie. And then one day he said, we are having a lunch today. Do come and have lunch with us. And Bing Crosby sang at the lunch, and I sang with him. <laughs> so I have a terrible singing voice. I would sing for my children, and they'd say, Mum, you have a terrible singing voice. And I'd say, excuse me, I've sung with Bing Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> but Bing said, you know, June, you should go down to Rome. Audrey Hepburn is making a movie there. I'll introduce you to Audrey Hepburn, and you can go on the set. And so Audrey became a very dear friend of mine. And she introduced me to that wonderful movie star, Gregory Peck. Yes. And uh, Greg became my very dearest friend. And Greg asked me to marry him. And I thought, I can't do that because I felt obliged to my mother. And people said, well, why didn't you marry Greg Peck? And you could have taken your mother over to Hollywood to join you. But that would have made my mother lonely. She would have known no one and she would have left her family and friends. And I thought, no, I can't do that. So I flew back to Australia. Gosh, that must have been heartbreaking. <laughs> yes, I left Greg. <laughs> but Greg Peck stayed my best friend for the rest of his life and then died on my birthday. Oh. Yes, he stayed a very, very dear friend. And when I came back to Sydney, I was at a cocktail party one evening, and there was a very handsome young man, John Clifford, <laughs> and I started to go out with John, and he proposed to me, and I thought I'd love to get married now and have children. Because by this time, I was around about 28. Gosh, you'd done so much, hadn't you, yeah. before you were 28? Yes. And so I married John, and we had four children. And I kept on my business. I wanted to keep on teaching. And that was very upsetting to John 
because there was no woman anywhere who worked. I was the first woman in Australia to work, to have her own business, and insist on having children. (laughs) I would go to hospital, give birth to the baby, and take it to my office (laughs) and keep on working. What was it that really drove you to do that? Because you must have had a lot of criticism outside. Women would phone me when I was teaching at night. They'd say, you're a disgusting mother. Go home to your poor, starving children. Wow. Don't you realize that you should be looking after your children? So it was the women who the were women really were doing vitriolic. That. Women were really giving me a hard time. But ben, men respected me. Men admired me and respected me, and they thought what I was doing was great and encouraged me, except my husband. So my husband said, that's it, June, I'm leaving you. How many years on was that? I don't know how many years on, about four or five years. Okay, the children were young then. Yes, and the children were young. So I had bought a home at Bellevue Hill by this time. this little girl from Watson's Creek. I'd bought my own home and I had my four children there and a nanny who stayed with us and looked after them and fed them and cared for them and stayed with them while I was teaching in the evening and so forth. You had sort of three kind of parts to your business, didn't you, by this stage? What was it, though, given, if you like, all the society norms at that time where, you know, women should be at home and looking after their children and be housewives, what was it that drove you to want to work? Because I thought a woman had a right to her own life. I thought, why shouldn't a woman work? And we're so glad that you did. How stressful did you find it juggling family and your work passions? Very stressful. Very, very stressful indeed. I would always be condemned and criticized, but I kept on doing it. I wanted women to have a right to their own life, and I kept on insisting that. And I had a lovely lady who would come and look after my children when my husband left me because I was a working woman. And that lady would be very nice. She'd take care of my children. And I would love them and care for them. And they've all grown up to be loving and caring and hardworking and successful people. You know, it sounds as if you have just got an incredible determination. Yes. You really do. And that determination comes with a cost, And you've had the stress and you've had the criticism. It did, but now people respect me. They do. How hard was it for you to love the people that were criticizing you? Well, I just ignored them. The ones who criticized me, I was always nice to them, but I didn't take any care. I didn't listen to what they had to say because I wanted to be what I wanted to be, and I never listened to their condemnation and criticism. 
must have been hard at the time, though, because, you know, I'm sure like most people, you've got an inner critic who is there sort of being your worst enemy sometimes. I wouldn't let them get into my brain. And how do you do that? That's the secret sauce, I just kept smiling. (laughs) I kept smiling. I wouldn't let their criticism get into my brain. I kept smiling and kept thinking, I love myself. I love the people who surround me. I love my family. And those people who condemn and criticize me, I just keep them out of my brain. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think that takes a real strength of character to do that. What do you think are the key ingredients for someone to be the best they can? Oh, you have to have good posture. I teach students, your body is the house you live in and your brain is your control tower. I teach them how to speak well and how to smile a lot and how to feel that they are important, how to feel well about yourself, not in a vain way, but how to be the best you can be in every way. And that's why at 92, maybe I don't look 92, because I have good posture and I get up early in the morning and work and be busy. I'd love to move now because here you are, in your early 90s, and you are a sensation in China. How did that come about that you are now spending a month at a time in China teaching cumulatively thousands to be the best they can be? right. Absolutely. Sometimes when I go on stage, there'll be a thousand or more in the audience waiting to listen to me. One day I was at my office in Sydney and the phone rang. And there was a gentleman said, excuse me, I'm phoning from China. My name is James Zhang, and I would like to know if you would be interested in coming to China to teach your classes. And I said, yes, 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 yes. (laughs) I want to, I want to. And James said, well, I'll be coming to Sydney next week, and I would like to come and meet you. So I was there waiting for him, and he came in to meet me. And he said, you really would be interested in China? And I said, I've always wanted to go there. I love the history of China. I've been reading about it for years and years. So he said, well, I will fly you there, and I will have a promotion. So he had a promotion for me, and everyone who came to that promotion enrolled in my classes, and that was the beginning. And now I run classes all over China and love every moment of it. I've just come back from Quanzhou, and I will go again in all of November and run classes for four weeks there. Gosh. And and love it. If someone said, what is your secret to staying so vibrant and so with it in your 90s? What would be your top three tips? Keep busy. Keep busy. Always have something to do. Work for a charity. If you don't have a job to do, 
Find a charity and work for that. But whatever, you must keep active. You must keep your brain active, switched on, and you must keep your body active. In my brain, I'm 25. Yes. If you think 25, you'll feel it. I don't want to think 92. When I think 92, I'm delighted that I've made it to 92. But I want to be very active and keep on being busy and keep on teaching. What advice would you give them about believing in themselves and having the courage to to aim high in life? First of all, I think it is very, very important to like yourself. I tell our students, love yourself, not in a vain way, but in a way that you can feel happy within yourself, like this person you live in. And some some people find that very difficult to do, don't they? They do. And have you got other advice to really help people reconcile with themselves and love themselves more? Well, they have to talk to themselves. They have to keep their brain switched on so that they and their brain can be happy together. And don't let anyone influence them to not like themselves. Love yourself. Understand that you are your best friend. You, yourself, are your best friend. And be nice and loving to other people, and they will be loving back to you, I hope. (laughs) We do. Well, that all sounds very wise advice. If you could give advice to your 30-year-old self, who by this stage has been Australia's top model, she's running businesses, she probably has children, what advice in hindsight would you give to your 30-year-old self? I think the advice I had for myself is good advice. Mm. I think the advice I gave myself way back then has helped me to become 92 years old, to have good posture. I hope I don't look 92. You don't. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't feel it. And the fact that I go to China and train everywhere and people respect me and want to follow my good advice, I think that anything that people tried to tell me to do then wouldn't work the way my guidance, my self-guidance is telling me what to do. My brain is switched on, and it gives me advice and guidance, and I want to follow that. And I get up early. Yes, and I go to bed early. I I believe that we must sleep well. Do it the daily way. Do it the daily way, exactly. Well, Lady June, thank you so much for a wonderful, wonderful conversation. It's been really fascinating to hear about your life and the determination that you've had to create a pathway for other women. Yeah. It's, it's to really keep my been brain great. switched on. To, to keep your brain switched on. And controlling on. me. That's right. And so if our listeners wanted to find more about the programs that you run, how would they do that? I think they would phone Brisbane, okay, Jody in Brisbane, and tell them. And if they want me to run a class down here in Sydney, Jody would do that. 
or in Melbourne or... Or anywhere in the world, really. I'm a traveller. <laughs> I will go anywhere That's and run classes. fantastic. And I'm sure they can Google the, the June yes. Dally Watkins. Lydia. And they'll, and they'll find yes, the school. Yes, they'll find me. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody finds me. <laughs> Everybody finds you that needs you. We yeah. found you. Yeah, exactly. Isn't it lovely? Well, thank you again. We thank you for everything that you've done for, oh. for women and being a role model for us all. Oh, that's a blessing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It has been my joy. What a remarkable woman June is. She sure is. And if I've got that amount of zest for life at 92, I'll seriously be happy. Absolutely. Just think 25, Claire. That's the secret. Oh, and of course, good posture. Yeah, I know. I've had June ringing in my ears ever since we did the interview. It's really good advice. I'm just sitting up straight and listen how much more authoritative I sound right now. Absolutely, I know. I've got so much respect for the fact that she was one of the first businesswomen. I can't actually imagine how challenging it would have been with women calling you to tell you that you were a disgusting mother for having a business. I know, you know, hard to imagine in this day and age in some ways, but then in others maybe not so particularly, depending on which country you live in. But also, not only that, then having the, her husband who left her with four kids as well. Yeah, yeah, really tough. But then, you know, June Daly Watkins is really tough and determined. You know, she believed women had a right to their own lives. And thank goodness for her. I think that was so far-sighted and emancipated of her to have that belief back then. It's really, you know, we have a lot to thank her for in so many ways. I think, you know, that how working women have cascaded from that era to today absolutely well that's this episode done and dusted tune in for our next episode a conversation with the incredibly accomplished international company director woman of the future entrepreneur and global philanthropist laura anderson see you then ciao for now Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.